This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for February 1st, 2019. In this week's episode, are shortcuts in iOS a vulnerability? What you should know about the FaceTime bug. Plus, Facebook and Google run afoul of Apple's rules for developers. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. It's always a good day when we can use the word steganography in a podcast. Don't you think, Josh? <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we ever have mentioned steganography on this show before. I have, have a we? feeling that we did once, and I'm going to let you explain to the listeners what steganography is. It has nothing to do with dinosaurs. Ah, uh, That's right. Yeah, we may have made that dinosaur joke before. Steganography is an ancient art of being able to hide something in plain sight. And when in the context of computing, usually when people talk about steganography, they're thinking about things like um, hiding some kind of data, often in, uh, in a picture, in an image file. And that's exactly what a recent malware campaign did as a, an attempt to kind of sneak around, you know, any security controls that you might have in place. Or maybe if you're a business user that your your company might have had in place on your network to, to sort of sniff out and prevent things from infecting you. Well, let's explain how this works. And, and this is not the precise way, but let's imagine you've got a photo and it's 2,000 pixels by 1,000 pixels. If you just look at the first row, it's 2,000 pixels long. And each of those pixels has tens of thousands of different color possibilities. So let's say that it's black, and we're going to call that zero. And if you make the color one bit lighter, that would be a one. And two bits lighter, that would be a two. So you could alter the colors of the pixels just in that first row and have 2,000 characters of code. And of course, 2,000 by 1,000 pixels, that would give you 2 million characters. And if all you do is alter each of those characters by, let's say, from 1 to 50, because, you know, 1 to 26 in hexadecimal codes and numbers and letters and everything. So you, so you have a lot of possible characters. If an app can read the differences between an original image and the steganographically altered image, then you can have something, you can have a lot of code in there or hidden text or, you know, secret instructions how to get to the treasure. <laughs> right, exactly. And what's really important to note about this is because you're making such a minor change to the color or whatever it might be, the, the, the changes you're making to that image are indiscernible to the human eye. And that's where, that's how you can hide something in plain sight. And so there's lots of other ways to do this besides, you know, a graphic, uh, you know, an image file. Uh, but this is one way that it can be done. And this is the technique that they used um, with this recent malware campaign. So essentially the way that it worked is there was some JavaScript embedded in a page. So, you know, the user has to browse to, to a page that, uh, you know, has some bad code in it that's going to try to get your computer infected. And this JavaScript file takes a look at this image file, which again, seemingly innocuous image file. It, it actually just looks like a, a white rectangle is all it looks like. But it, it, the JavaScript code knows how to interpret the information that's hidden within that file. And then it uses that 
to find the uh, the URL, the web address of something else that it can try to to get onto your machine. So so that's the idea behind this campaign. It was called Very Mal, which is related to the the domain name that they used for this attack. Ah, that's why I thought this was someone had brought in a PR company to name their <laughs> malware and came up with something that would be easily understandable. But no, but you you have to admit that this is clever. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a, a a very clever attack. Now, in in theory, this this could allow an attacker to get around some security controls. Um, in practice, if you happened to be running, you know, good antivirus software, of course, like you know, Intego's Virus Barrier X9, then you wouldn't have a problem with this anyway. Because essentially what they did, they went to all the trouble of hiding what they were doing, but then they downloaded a variant of an old bit of malware. So about a year ago, Intego researchers discovered something that was called OS X Schlayer. That was the name of the, the malware that was we gave it at the time. And uh, Schlayer has been around in various forms. And essentially what it looks like is a fake you know, well, it looks like a real Flash player installer, but it's actually fake. And it comes with some naughty things that it can do with your system. And uh, Schlayer has had several incarnations over the past year. And this is just the latest version of that. Um, But it still effectively works the same way. And because they're reusing this old malware, of course, Intego has signatures developed to recognize, you know, that malware and variants of it. You know, if you did happen to browse to one uh, one of these sites that might have had that very mal javascript and using the steganography and everything you still would ultimately end up with the same malware being downloaded on your machine and your antivirus software would stop it okay that's good to know um it does sound a lot more serious than it is um i just like the idea of steganography i think it's cool it's like i don't know when when you were young did you have these books that talked about secret codes and things yeah when i was about 12 i thought that was so cool that like you, you know you could put codes in in like You'd choose the first letter of a line in a page of a book or something. And, and I'm always impressed by the, the creativity of that. In other news, and we certainly have a lot of news to talk about today, there have been some vulnerabilities that have been reportedly found in iOS shortcuts. This is a feature in iOS 12 available on the iPhone and the iPad. And if you're familiar with Automator or AppleScript on the Mac, which can create scripts and workflows, shortcuts are a similar type of tool on iOS. In order to use these, you have to download an app called Shortcuts. It's not supplied with iOS 12. And we'll link to an article I wrote uh, in November on the Intego Mac Security blog, Use iOS Shortcuts to Automate Tasks on Your iPhone or iPad. And these shortcuts can do things like create a playlist of your music or share your most played songs or clip an article to notes. And, and, you know, some of them are very banal, but some of them are extremely long and complex. And I remember when I wrote that article, I emailed you asking, what would the security implications of shortcuts be? If you're downloading them from Apple's gallery, then you're going to trust that they're okay. But if you download them from somewhere else, isn't it just like downloading a Mac app from a developer you don't know? There could be anything in them. Yeah, it's it's very much like that. Um, and it is actually really interesting that Apple gives you the option to get shortcuts from someplace else because... The iOS ecosystem, you know, really the iOS platform has been much, much more locked down than macOS ever has been. Um, Apple has kind of gradually been increasing the, 
number and complexity of ways that they're trying to lock things down in the system to kind of protect Mac OS. But um, on iOS, it's it's been you know, locked down from day one. In fact, there originally wasn't even... You've never had access unless you jailbreaked your iOS device, which is a complex way of installing software that gets around Apple's protection. Right. In fact, when the iPhone first launched, they didn't even have an app store. <laughs> like, you could go to the web and then, you know, people said, well, that's not really good enough, right? I, I want something on my home screen. And so Apple said, well, you can save a web page to a shortcut. You know, uh, uh, it'll look like an app icon. And so for a little while, developers did that, but they kept complaining and Apple finally broke down and said, okay, fine. You can have apps. We'll create an app store um, and we're going to take a 30% cut. But you can only install them through the app store or through a very specific method that we'll discuss later in the show. Yes. Well, that's true. It obviously ended up being a good business decision for Apple to do that. But in any case, for sure. um, so it's it, you've got kind of the two ends of the spectrum. You've got macOS, which has typically been more open and is getting more restricted. iOS started out extremely restricted, and now it's starting to open up a little bit more, especially now with shortcuts. It is important to note that Shortcuts is not an app that comes pre-installed. It's something you can download from Apple if you choose to use that. So a couple of developers have said that they found a way to do some sneaky things with Shortcuts that they developed themselves. There's a type of, uh, of attack called a directory traversal attack. And basically... What they're doing with this attack is they're, I imagine probably some of our listeners have, have messed around with DOS back in the day or, or the Windows command line, maybe, or maybe you've even played with Terminal. And there's... Terminal on the Mac, yeah, for sure. There, there are some ways that um, if you're looking at the path to, you know, to get to a file or a program, often you can go to the previous folder in the path um, using a command... And using dot dot that that's sort of like the shortcut way of saying the previous directory before you got to this one. The next level up, yeah. And before the show, we were you were telling me about this, and I said, oh, it sounds like in terminal typing cd space dot dot. Right. And it, what it does is it takes you up one level. It's exactly right. it. You can do the same thing in the Finder by pressing Command up arrow, and that will take you up a level as well. Exactly. There is a correspondence between the way you can move around on the command line and in the Finder. Right. You can also do this in a web browser as well. So there's a. You might have, if you've ever opened a text file or or maybe an HTML file, more likely, um, on your computer, and it opens up in your browser. Um, you'll notice that the address in the address bar starts with file colon slash slash, which means that it's it's loading that as a file from your computer. It's not using HTTP uh, or, or something to pull it from the, a website. Basically what they did is they figured out that if they messed around with the, the file path, that they could use slash dot dot slash and they could go up a cert, uh, you know, they could go up a level using that. And th this is this is all unverified, but these are some claims that a couple of developers have made on Reddit. And we'll have a, an article on the Intego Max Security blog that kind of digs into this a little bit. But essentially, what they're saying is you can do some tricky things with this. One developer claimed that they were able to delete something out of the system folder on iOS to actually mess around with part of the operating system, essentially. Another developer claimed 
that they were able to fill up the iOS device, fill up the the drive space and cause it to stop functioning essentially and overheat the device in the process. There's some nasty things that can be done with shortcuts if you are abusing it. I guess the the takeaway from this is just be careful. If you're going to use shortcuts, try to stick to reputable developers and probably, you know, don't get your shortcuts from some guy on Reddit. <laughs> don't get anything from some guy on Reddit. <laughs> Nothing against Reddit. I, I just want to say something. Tom Cruise, if you're listening, I want you to get in touch with Josh for your next film because he can come up with all sorts of sneaky ways to get at people's data in their iPhone. And that would be great for one of your films. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about, oh, Facebook again. Aye, aye, aye. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. And then use promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So when I got up Tuesday morning, I got out of bed and I had some tea and I looked at Twitter and I went through my Twitter timeline in reverse chronological order. So, you know, it starts about 10 hours before I'm up. And as I go along, all of a sudden I see people talking about a FaceTime bug, a serious FaceTime bug, where people could call you on FaceTime and they could hear and see you before you picked up the call. Now, I find it interesting to go through Twitter like this when people have had several hours to react um, because by the time I got to the, the to the now of my timeline, Apple had actually already done something to address this. Um, Josh, can you tell us about this? Th- this came up suddenly, and Apple really reacted quickly to to mitigate this. Right. Okay. Well, we should start with explaining what this bug is and and how people were able to use it and kind of mess with other people using this bug. The bug is. It has to do with the way that FaceTime group calls work. Now, you, you remember this is something that was introduced, I think, in iOS 12.1. Um, there was a, some new functionality so that instead of just having a FaceTime call between two individuals, now you could add additional people into your FaceTime call. And so that's FaceTime uh, group calls. Somebody figured out that if they added themselves to a call before someone else had even picked up that call, then they could automatically 
activate the microphone on the other person's end of the conversation, uh, even before they'd have accepted the call. And in fact, it turned out that kind of building on that concept that if you, you know, sometimes when you're getting a call and you don't really want to answer it, you sometimes hit the power button on your, on your iPhone to silence it. Well, it turns out that if you did that, then it would cut off the audio that was streaming from your device without your knowledge and would instead display your front facing camera to the person who was calling you. Um, it would cut off the audio, but now it would be showing you if you were looking at your device or, you know, whatever else might be going on in your room. So kind of creepy. And some people were, of course, having a lot of fun with this and messing around with other people and uh, until Apple finally decided, okay, this is something that we need to fix urgently. The quickest way that they could handle this was by cutting off on the server side, FaceTime group calling. It, was, it wasn't, it's not currently possible as of when we're recording this to initiate a call between multiple parties. It's just one-to-one again. Okay, I think it's also worth talking about how Apple discovered this. It was some 14-year-old kid who was playing Fortnite and he found this and his mother tried to contact Apple. Apple made the mother apply for a developer account to be able to file a bug report. And you and I know how complicated that bug reporter is with Apple. Um, I, I think this says a lot about how unsensitive Apple is about dealing with security. Now, Apple has an email address you can write to. It's, it's product-security at apple.com. So if you do find any security flaws or bugs or anything, you can contact Apple like that, and you will be dealt with with different people than your standard Apple support. But it's not widely publicized, and you can send information to Apple, and they will potentially get back to you if you have something important enough. I, I think the mother just went through standard Apple support, and they said, well, the only way to do it is to go like this. And, and of course, this delayed Apple from reacting on this because I, I filed bugs on Apple's bug reporter years ago that they still haven't gotten to. I guess with something like this, they reacted a little more quickly. I think this shows that while Apple does care about security, they aren't really that open to people approaching them with security issues. Now, to, to be fair, if you ever do have a security issue, contact us at podcastedintigo.com. Josh will take control of it. He knows how to get in touch with Apple. But this was a pretty complicated task for the woman who did this. What I'm curious about is who exactly this mother talked to at Apple um, that gave her the the idea that she needed to sign up for a developer account. Because when you're talking about security issues, Apple has had that product hyphen security uh, at apple.com email address for a while. It's not like that's something brand new. Um, and it's not something that you even have to have a developer account to send an email. You know, you can report vulnerabilities that way. It's probably not the most ideal way, you know, to send it in an email. We've talked before about how email is sort of like sending a postcard through the mail, but it's still a lot better than having to sign up for a developer account if you've never had to do that before. It's, it kind of puts people through a lot of hoops to take that path. This, this definitely could have been handled a lot better by Apple. And if, if someone at Apple had realized how severe this was, obviously they would have been acting more quickly to, to address this before it started getting all over the internet and social media and people you know pranking their friends and so forth. 
It is worth noting that Apple said that this week they're going to be releasing a software update. So possibly by the time you're listening to this episode, Apple may have already released a software update to address this issue so that eventually they can turn back on the FaceTime group messaging. Okay, from FaceTime to Facebook, and this is really the news of the week, uh, it turned out that Facebook was paying teenagers 20 bucks a month to spy on what they were doing on their iPhones. You know, Facebook's explanation would probably be, well, we would set up a focus group and this and that, but it really was spying, and they used an underhanded way to install an app on people's devices. And, of course, Apple responded extremely quickly to this. Oh boy, did they. Yeah, this is really kind of a shocking (laughs) revelation. I mean, even knowing everything that we do about Facebook, about all the things that they've done, you know, with people's consent generally to um, sort of invade people's privacy. And and this, again, was a consensual thing. I mean, people had to sign up for this and basically say, yeah, I don't mind if you look at my browsing history and my app usage and all these other things on my device. Sure, that's no problem. But um, the creepy thing about it is that, you know, as you mentioned, this was something that even teenagers could sign up for. People who, um, you know, are a minor, considered a minor in the United States, you should at least have parental consent if you're a participant, if you're going to be spying on them in such ways. Sure, that they might think that's great to have 20 bucks a month, but maybe their parent doesn't think that that's so great that you're, you know, getting all that information for a mere 20 bucks. I mean, that's, that's some pretty serious privacy violation there. And, and by the way, this has been confirmed. There was actually a BBC reporter uh, after the story broke who tried to, to sign up for this Facebook program as a 14-year-old boy, and he was accepted, he says, without parental consent. And Facebook responded and said, oh, no, 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 we require parental consent. But, you know, here we have this BBC reporter who seemed to find otherwise. But what's interesting about this is the way that Facebook installed this app rather than going through the App Store and Apple's reaction. Yeah. So basically what Apple decided to do, and by the way, this was not an app that you could download on the App Store. That's an important point. So essentially the way that Facebook was distributing these apps was outside of the App Store. There are some Apple approved methods for distributing apps in that way. Facebook had a separate developer ID that they were using for these, um, you know, ostensibly internal apps. They weren't actually using them as just internal only, but um, they had a different developer ID that they were using for these apps. They were also using it for several other completely unrelated things to the, you know, authorized spying uh, app. And so Apple... Well, I think they were using it for all of their internal app deployment, all of their internal testing. And and I read that things like the apps that people used in Facebook to organize um, the buses that take them to and from work or to order their lunch were also using this same developer certificate. And so this had a major impact. What Apple did was they revoked the that developer certificate. It was no longer authorized. Um, and so any devices that had one of these apps installed, those apps just wouldn't launch anymore at all. And um, this didn't affect the Facebook apps that are in the App Store because they actually use a different developer ID for those uh, published apps. Every every internal iOS app at Facebook was shut down immediately by Apple. Um, as soon as this story broke and Apple had had time to consider it and what to do about it. 
So what this means is that there's a certificate, and every time an app launches or wants to do anything, it has to check that certificate with Apple's server to make sure that that app is still valid. So by Apple revoking that certificate, essentially, they just pull the kill switch to kill off all the apps that were using that certificate. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. Apple announced many, many years ago, in fact, I think it was when the App Store was launched, Apple said, we've got a kill switch, by the way, so don't try anything. (laughs) If, yeah, <laughs> and and so here we have a case of Apple actually pulling that that switch, and uh, and it had some major impact for for poor Facebook employees who probably you know many of them had nothing to do with this uh, privacy violating app. So after it was discovered that Facebook did this, it turned out that Google also had an app like this. Oh boy. Yeah, it 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 never stops. I mean, you know, it's so interesting that you know Apple has this sort of very well-known public fight against particularly Facebook and also Google. (laughs) Google reacted quite a bit differently. And it's sort of, um, I guess they were kind of self-policing and and maybe they saw the writing on the wall and were going, oh no, (laughs) like, you know. Well, they saw the reaction against Facebook. Google benefited from the fact that all, all of the everything hit the fan with Facebook and that they knew to react differently. A, A Google spokesman told The Verge, the screen-wise meter iOS app, that's the name of the app, should not have operated under Apple's developer enterprise program. This was a mistake, and we apologize. We have disabled this app on iOS devices. And and they say, by the way, we did this completely voluntarily. We weren't asked to do this. You know, Apple didn't make us do this. We're just doing this because we care about you, essentially. Yes. Uh, yeah, or either that or you didn't want the ban hammer to come down on you guys, too, so... Well, but again, they, they saw what happened to Facebook, so they were able to react differently. <laughs> right. Now, now, th- now, this raises an interesting question, and we'll link to an article in the Washington Post that says Apple just became the tech industry's de facto privacy cop. And this is an interesting concept that Apple has the power to shut down on its own platform, at least Facebook, Google, or anyone else. And they're doing this. Now, I, I don't say that what Apple did is wrong, but there will be cases in the future where it won't be so clear cut whether Apple has the right to do so, such a thing. Yeah, yeah. And th- this really, for that reason, it's a really interesting development. And, um, you know, let's hope that there aren't too many more issues like this where Apple has to, to take drastic action. Um, but it is good to know that Apple's, you know, putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to the, the privacy thing. And they're willing to take action quickly to protect users' privacy. Um, <laughs> it is kind of amusing that this happened, you know, right after the whole FaceTime issue. Um, when everyone kind of was like... Which happened right after Apple's poster in in Las Vegas saying what happens on your iPhone stays on your iPhone. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, Apple was kind of in the doghouse and in, in, in a way, roundabout way, this is kind of a, a way for Apple to redeem themselves on the whole, no, no, we really care about your privacy, you know. <laughs> um, so, well, good on Apple. I'm glad that they were able to fairly quickly... Um, put some a mitigation in place to stop the FaceTime thing, and we're able to, you know, prevent Facebook from doing the sort of sneaky things that it had been doing with iOS users' devices with consent. Okay, so check out the show notes. We'll have links to a number of articles on the Intego Mac security blog about the very mal malware, about the iOS shortcuts vulnerability, about the FaceTime bug, about Facebook and Google, and more. Until next week, Josh, stay really, really secure. (laughs) All right. Stay secure, Kirk. 
Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>